Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today. For every watch you're listening from, this is your first time joining us. Hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that is listed. We're in our third week of a series called Forgotten Voices, and we've been taking a look at a group of people that are known as the Minor Prophets, whose powerful messages were largely forgotten by their own people. And really, I would say many Christians today kind of overlook those guys as well. Um, let me encourage you, go back and, and just listen or watch the previous teachings in the series. We started with the story of Hosea, and we learned how you know his marriage to a prostitute was a reflection of God's relationship with the kingdom of Israel. And the big takeaway there was, you know, God has an unrelenting love for you and for me. And then last week we we got a look into the conversation between Habakkuk and and God. And in Habakkuk's world might be a little bit different than ours in terms of human history. You know, he did live 2,500 years ago. <laughs> right? But in terms of human behavior, it's actually pretty similar. Uh, he sees injustice and violence and corruption, and, and he sees good being called evil and evil being called good. He wants to know, you know where God is in all this mess. And when God does speak to Habakkuk, he tells him something that just doesn't seem to make sense. And the big lesson from that uh, message is this, that we have to learn to trust God's plan even when we don't understand. And that brings us to where we are here today. We're in the middle of October, one of my favorite times of the year. And the reason for that is we've got, you know, football and we also have playoff baseball. And I don't know if you love playoff baseball or not, but I mean, I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. So, you know, postseason glory and disappointment is routine for me in the fall. Uh, you, you know, during the season, you know, every team, they've, they've got these players, right, who sometimes will struggle. I mean, this year, Freddie Freeman struggled a lot kind of early in the season, right? And even when teams make it to the World Series, they'll have guys who struggle. And so those players are probably striking out a lot, they're making too many errors in the field nine times out of ten. The reason is because they've forgotten the basic fundamentals of the game. And if they can make the adjustments, if they can take their attention off the wrong things and do what they were taught from the time you know, they were playing Little League, a transformation can happen. And they can become the player they were supposed to be all along because they returned to the fundamentals mentals again. Now, they didn't have baseball, okay, in the 8th century B.C. in Judah. We, we know that. But they did have a, a prophet named Micah. And, and Micah notices that Judah is focusing on all the wrong things. They're cheating people and their business practices. They're twisting the truth. And worse, they think that they're doing what pleases God in the process. But Judah had forgotten the fundamentals. They've forgotten what God was, you know, really looking for in them. And that, of course, begs the question, like, what is God looking for in us? Do we maybe need to return to fundamentals in our own spiritual lives? So let's go to Micah chapter 6. This is where I want to start off today. Micah chapter 6, uh, verse number 1. Listen to what the Lord is saying. This is Micah speaking. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witnesses uh, to your complaints. And now, all mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people, and he will bring charges against Israel. 
Oh my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to curse you and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. Look at verse number six. What can we bring to the Lord? Now, this is, this is God kind of being, responding for Judah in like a sarcastic manner. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before the Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O oh people. This is now God speaking here. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, Judah's focusing on all the wrong things. So, so how do they get here? How do they get so off track that God had to bring a case against them? Well, it didn't happen overnight. It was a slow fade that occurred over just a very long period of time. I went to the DMV a few years ago to renew my driver's license. And so everything was going fine until I had to look through, you know, the iChart machine. And so I stepped up thinking that I would pass this thing with no problem, and, and I did pass it in one eye. <laughs> so I shifted to take the test of my other eye, and I realized that um, I couldn't read some of the bottom rows. They weren't as clear as the first one. They were kind of cloudy. So apparently my vision had been slipping a little bit. But I wasn't about to leave, get my eyes checked, and then come back to renew my license. I mean, like, that's a long process. <laughs> I'm not going to go back and do it again. So I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I kind of cheated a little bit, all right? I cheated. I switched eyes, and I read the bottom couple of rows of my good eye so I could walk out clear and free with my license. Don't, don't do that. Uh, now, here's the thing. My vision had been slowly fading, and I hadn't even realized it. But once I was put to the test and I saw my vision was going to go, what did I do. I cheated because I wanted my license. I ignored my vision was fading. I did nothing about it and even made adjustments to live with something that was eroding and failing. You kind of see where I'm going here today. Like this is the spiritual climate that Judah finds itself in Micah's day. They've been focusing on the wrong things for so long they haven't noticed how badly it's affected them. And instead of fixing the spiritual problem, they've made adjustments to live with spiritual decay. And they're fine with, you know, violence and lying and theft, that kind of thing. They're, they're bringing sacrifices to God. They're going to temple. They're reading from the scriptures. They're doing all the things a good Jew who follows God in that time period does, but their hearts aren't in it. There's no transformation happening among the people any longer. And I wonder if, you know, maybe that might describe you today. Like, have you made adjustments to live a life of spiritual decay rather than allowing God to come in and just continue His transformative work within you? You can come to church, okay? You can do that. You know, you, you can serve. You can give. But your heart can still be far from God. You know why? Because modified behavior doesn't transform a life. Only a heart that's going all after God can experience that. And some of you, you're, you're doing all the right things, right? I mean, you, you know, all the things you would expect someone who's going to follow Jesus to do. But your heart's just not in it. you got to get back to the fundamentals. Others of you have made adjustments 
to live with spiritual decay. You're not bothered by the sin that's slowly crept into your life anymore, even trying to justify kind of the things you're doing, right? Listen, you got to get back to the fundamentals. So, so how do we do that? You know, how do we return to those fundamentals? Well, our passage lays it out for us pretty clear. It starts with God bringing charges against Judah. We saw that in the first five verses of chapter 6. Remember, the people have made adjustments to live in spiritual decay while still doing all the things someone who's supposed to be following God is supposed to be doing, right? Then we see in verses 6 and 7 that they're, they're blind to their own spiritual condition, and God gives that kind of sarcastic response for Judah, you know, basically you know, saying, like, it's impossible to please you? What can we do to make you happy? Uh, Judah's whole focus is on pleasing God instead of being with God. Their focus is on what's external, not internal. It's religion, not heart. And so listen, the life you live, I'm going to tell you, man, it's a direct reflection of the worth of God in your life. Micah steps up in verse number eight, and he addresses this very issue. Let's look at it one more time. He goes, hey, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He's addressing getting back to the fundamentals in such a way that it has outward, inward, and upward impact. It's outward, and then these fundamentals impact other people positively for God around you. It's inward, and that it has, you know, they're the true hallmarks of people who've been transformed by God. And it's upward because they're reflections of a healthy relationship with God. So notice there's, there's really nothing here about sacrifice, right? There's nothing about church attendance. There's nothing about how many scriptures you can memorize or how many teams you serve on or how, how much you give. Like all those things are good things, but there's nothing fundamental about them in terms of who we are in Christ. And so if I strip everything away, what is the basic fundamental to being a follower of God? It's these three keys that Michael lays out for us. You return to the fundamentals by first standing for what's right. Standing for what's right, which seems so easy, doesn't it? But it's so much harder to do than what it sounds. And I think we see that in our world today especially. But when we're not taking a stand for what our culture thinks is right, we're oftentimes taking a stand for what God says is right. And you learn what is right in God's eyes, not just by reading his word, but by living it out in your own life. So, you know, I know I'm not going to cut corners in my business practices because Proverbs 12, 22 talks about how God values honesty and integrity. Uh, I know God values faithfulness, so I, I'm not going to look at another woman as if I want her or mess with some other guy who's not my husband, right? Hebrews 13, 4 really talks about that. You kind of get the idea here. The key is I just, I, I don't believe, you know, oh, this is right and just say it. No, I go out there and live what I believe. I believe it and I live it to be true, right? So I don't want to spend too much time here because we're going to look at a biblical perspective of social justice next week with, with Amos. But standing for what's right also means we do take a stand on justice. And it means we stand up for the oppressed and for the poor and the widow and the unborn and those who can't stand for themselves. Like the heart of God beats for those who are forgotten and broken and lost and hurting. And Michael 6 8 tells us to stand for what's right if you want to get back to the fundamentals. But it also tells us to show mercy to other people. Showing mercy means you show compassion and forgiveness to someone um, when it's within your right to, to you know, empower, to punish them. So in other words, it, it's not getting what you deserve. 
There's a story in the New Testament about a woman who was accused of having an, an affair. And so she's brought before Jesus and everyone is expecting him to condemn her in accordance with the Old Testament law and uh, hand out the punishment for adultery, which was death back then. Um, but Jesus does something really crazy. He makes a point that every person has sinned, which is true, right? There's none of us are perfect. And he challenges the crowd. If you haven't sinned, you step up and carry out her punishment. Not a single person moves. In fact, they all one by one walk away. And Jesus looks at this woman and he tells her to leave her life of sin. That's an act of mercy. If anyone had the right to condemn her and the power to punish her, man, it was Jesus. But he didn't give her what she deserved. He gave her instead mercy. Showing mercy isn't some kind of suggestion. It's actually a command from God. Jesus gives a, a very famous message called the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. And in it, he details what a true follower of Christ is to live like. And it's a pretty challenging message he gives, especially when we get to you know, chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus begins teaching about how to treat people, especially people who are against us, our enemies. And he makes a really important statement in verse 36. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Don't give people what they deserve. If God shows mercy, we're to show mercy too. Romans 5.8 tells us while we were still sinners, while we were still far away from God in our sin, Christ died for us. We deserve the full penalty for our sin, which is death, okay? But God in His mercy sent His Son so He could give us something that we didn't deserve, which was life. The people of Judah had forgotten to show mercy. And I wonder today, if you're watching or listening, if maybe you've done the same. If you want to get back to following God wholeheartedly, you have to return to the fundamentals, and that means showing mercy. Don't give people what they deserve. Choose God's way and show mercy instead. Perhaps your act of mercy will speak so loudly and clearly to the other person that they're drawn to the Jesus they see living within you. We can get back to the fundamentals by sending for what's right, by showing mercy. And here's the last key, walking in humility. God makes note of Judah's pride in Micah 2, 3, standing there will come a time when they will no longer walk around proudly. I find the more people lean on all the religious practices and rigid systems, the more prideful they become. The people in Micah's day, they believed as long as they, they did all the right religious things they were supposed to do, they were entitled to God's favor. It's almost like they had an attitude that kind of said, you know what, God, you owe me. Like, you, you owe me for all that I'm doing for you. When Micah tells the people they're to walk humbly with God, he's reminding them of their place. God is our creator. He spoke things into literal existence. Think about that. Like, we're not equals with God, okay? We're invited guests, adopted kids, as the New Testament will put it later. And we can't forget it's a privilege and not a right to walk with Him. In fact, the word humility comes from humus, which means uh, compost. And every time we, uh, every step we take, we need to remember that, that we're nothing more than mere mortals, right? We're, we're dirt. It's like God actually brought dirt to life and shaped dirt. I don't know about you, but nothing helps me stay a little bit more grounded in the story of God shaping dirt and breathing life into Adam. Sometimes we need that. Like we need that reminder that it's not about us, right? And what we do for God. It's not about what we sacrifice and how much we serve and what kind of prayer we pray and all that we know. That isn't a life with Christ. That's not what it boils down to. Those are all good things. 
things, but they also puff us up in pride if we're not careful. And people become very impressed by all that you do for God. And so slowly you become accustomed to their praise and their awe. And before you know it, you're allowing pride to corrupt you. You start drifting from your focus from what God has called you to do because you become addicted to attention and praise and adoration. And all of a sudden, pride has you. When pride has you, you don't have Christ. You just have religion, empty, lifeless, worthless religion. We can adjust our lives to live a spiritual decay if we have religion. It's pretty easy to do that. We can take a posture that God owes us if we have religion. We can be puffed up with pride if we have religion. But humility takes religion out of the equation. And humility places us in the very presence of God where we suddenly feel awfully small. When we're humble, we know our place, and we count it a privilege and honor that God would walk with us and work through us. And, and better yet, we're living out and following through the example that Christ himself set for us. Philippians 2, 5, and 11 details how Christ left his eternal and heavenly place to become one of us and die for us. God becoming man here, okay? It's the ultimate act of humility. Remember the first time I, I told one of my mentors I believe God was calling me into pastoral ministry. I was in my final semester of college. I was serving as a youth leader at the church I'd been attending while I was at school. I met my pastor and I just told him, I said, hey, I believe what, you know, this is what God's doing in my life. He's calling me to ministry. And he said, he goes, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how he said it. And the first assignment he gave me was cleaning the church. Now, I, I spent eight months cleaning the church, scrubbing toilets and washing floors and vacuuming carpets. And after a while, I was like, you know what? We really need some help with landscaping. Can, can you cut grass? And so all summer long, I, I cleaned the church and I cut the grass. And then he gave me my first opportunity, right? And you're thinking, okay, you're teaching something. Uh, kind of. I mean, my first opportunity was announcements, okay? I gave the announcements in church, and I took up the offering each week. And so after a year of cleaning and cutting grass and doing announcements, they brought me on staff part-time. I didn't appreciate it, you know, back then the way I do now, but my pastor knew um, that a lot of people aspire to lead ministries and pastor and teach and have a platform, but the real test is in cleaning a dirty toilet each week. If you can't get dirty, you can't do the jobs no one wants to do and no one sees, you don't really have the right mindset to lead people. And that's because leadership above all else requires humility. So remember, you know, those big leaders I talked about at the beginning of, of, of our talk here today, the ones that, you know, they forget the fundamentals and they focus on the wrong things in their game. Most of the time, those things are, are small distractions, those wrong things are small distractions that if they're not addressed immediately over time will pull the player more and more off their game. It's how a perfect swing becomes tarnished. So you know how they fix it? They do something really humiliating. They hit off tees. Like the tees my five-year-old hits off of. They hit off tees because you learn the basic fundamental of a swing on a tee. These are multi-millionaire players, future Hall of Famers, doing what my five-year-old does in t-ball because the only thing to fix a bad swing is to get back to the fundamentals and do them all over again. You have to return to the fundamentals as soon as you notice you're being pulled away from them to stay on top of your game. Jesus speaks to the Ephesian church in Revelation, and he talks about returning to the fundamentals. Now, here's a church which, which knew how to do things right. I mean, they were one of the wealthier churches. They were the guys that you would look at with, like, pristine facilities and large staff and multitudes of ministry. Like, that, that's your ideal church, okay? And yet they've lost their way. 
So what does he say in Revelation 2.5? He says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. You know what he's calling these guys to do? He's calling them to return to the fundamentals. We, we covered three important fundamentals today, but the most important of all is loving God. Everything starts with a love and a heart for the Lord. How many of us, if we're honest with, with God and ourselves, we're finding that we're getting away from some fundamentals that we shouldn't be getting away from? Maybe you're justifying why you can have wandering eyes in your marriage. Maybe you've thought erroneously over the last several years that following God was all about religious do's and don'ts and practices instead of just the relationship that God desires with you. What are the adjustments you've made to live with spiritual decay if you've been doing that? Don't live with something that's eroding. Live with the life that God has called you to. Return to the fundamentals. Stand for what's right. Show mercy and walk in humility. Let me pray for you here today. Father, I love you. I thank you for those who are listening and watching right now. And I just ask God that uh, for those who uh, have just allowed distractions to pull them off the fundamentals. Uh, Lord, whatever sin it might be, they're trying to justify, whether it's wandering eyes, whether it's pride. Lord, whether it's not showing mercy like they should, uh, Father, whether they're standing for the wrong things instead of the right things, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would bring about conviction in hearts and lives here today, and that you would draw us, God, back to the basics, back to the fundamentals where we do and we do what's right, stand for what's right, we, we show mercy, God, and we walk humbly in humility with you. Lord, I, I, I just pray for those three keys in these lives here today so that, Father, we can... Uh, be people who uh, will truly live out the life you've called us to live. And, and I just pray, Lord, that in the coming days and months and years, as our world seems to be just careening in the wrong direction at rapid speed, would you help us to stand out above the crowd, Lord, as we stand for what's right, truly right, as we walk in humility, as we show mercy to people. Lord, what a way to stand out in this culture today by showing mercy and giving folks what they don't deserve in a world that, that is ready to heap stone on people for every wrong little thing. God, help us to live out the character and nature of Christ. May we bring honor and glory to your name in all that we do. May we return to the fundamentals at the earliest sign of being pulled away. May we get back on track doing the first things over again. Going back, God, and, and, and relearning the basics and getting back to those spiritual fundamentals so we can be the people you're calling us to be. I love you. I thank you. We ask all this in your name, God. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.